We're in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to begin at verse 9. We went through the first eight verses of Romans 12 last week, and today we want to finish out the chapter. And this chapter is all about relationships. And we saw last week something very important. And that is in the context of the will of God, which is a lot of what Paul talks about in the first couple of verses. Discovering the will of God, recognizing it, accepting it, embracing it, that, that one of the aspects of God's will for all of our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ is to recognize and acknowledge that we have a responsibility. We have an obligation to each other. I mean, that's just the way God designed it. God says, you cannot, as a Christian, experience my will or express my will apart from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Last week we saw, we belong to each other. And God says, look, I've given each of you these supernatural gifts, abilities, And I gave them to you, not for you to keep it to yourself, but to come into a body of believers, a family of believers, a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, and use the gifts and even talents and abilities and everything that God has given us to strengthen and to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why last week we saw, he says, if any of you have the gift of teaching, you must teach. If you have the gift of service, you must serve. If you have the gift of mercy, you must, must use that gift. Because from God's perspective, none of us as a Christian is a self-contained unit. We are part of a larger body. We are all members of the body of Christ. And as that body finds its local expression, then God would say to us, we are responsible for each other. We have an obligation to one another to come into a body and to be and to do and to use our gifts and abilities so that God can use our lives to strengthen each other. And it's to be a mutual thing. It's not to be a one-sided thing. And that's why I shared last week that though some of you may feel somewhat cheated, if you will, that you would come here week after week and not have me use my gift of teaching that God gave me because you benefit and profit spiritually from that gift, the same thing is true for all of us. I benefit and I, my spiritual life is enhanced if you would be willing to come and use your gifts and talents and all of that in this body as well. All of us have that responsibility to each other. So then, what Paul's going to do today is build on that. Because obviously, if God calls us to truly care about each other and be in connection with each other, then we've got to learn how to do relationships with each other. Because the meaning, if you will, the the true great positive byproduct of relationships is if we can be in them for a long period of time and truly then begin to see the fruit of over the long haul what we can do as we come together. 
If we're constantly in short-term relationships, then we never, we, we have to spend all our time just getting to sort of know each other and getting past the superficial and getting past the surface and never really get to truly benefit from all that God has placed within us for each other. Which is why, again, even the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament says iron needs to learn to sharpen iron. And that's what God wants to see his people be. He wants us to be sharper, stronger, and all of that because of the relationship that not only we have, obviously, with God, but the relationships we have with each other. So what we're going to learn today in verses 9 through the rest of the chapter, down through verse 20 or 21, is basically how to do relationships God's way. Because maybe you've tried to do relationships your way. And maybe that's not really working out for you. So God says, listen, I'm going to give you some really practical relationship advice on how you are to do relationships with one another. And he starts off in verse 9 with love must be without hypocrisy. God is saying, look, You can't pretend to love each other, which is really what the word hypocrisy means. You've got to really, genuinely love each other. Because we all know that we can see through people when they pretend, when they're just putting on. But God says, I want my people to learn how to genuinely and sincerely love each other. And notice something here, too. This word love that Paul starts out with in verse 9 is that word agape. It is a descriptive word of the highest quality of love that a human being can have for another human being. It is a Christ-like love of choice. It is unconditional. It is supernatural. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. And folks, the only way even as a Christian I can love at that level is to allow the Holy Spirit to fill me, to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, and allow Him to basically love through me. Because on my own, I can't love at that level. I need the Holy Spirit of God who lives within me to be constantly enabling me and energizing me to live and love at a level I could never do on my own. And he wants to produce that kind of love, if you will, for each other in all of us. And he wants it to be genuine and he wants it to be sincere. Notice then in verse 9 also, he says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. I want to use an example to describe what Paul is teaching here by something that's been recently in the news a lot. And that is the Ebola virus. What we learn, obviously, is when someone contracts something that deadly and that contagious, that they not only obviously are in danger themselves, but they have to be very careful, obviously, of coming in contact with others, because then we infect others with, if you will, the infection we're carrying around. And it can be really damaging, depending on what it is. 
Well, the reason why Paul shares these thoughts is because he's saying if we're going to live and we're supposed to live in close connection with each other as Christians, that's what God calls us to. That's his will for our life. Then we also have to realize this, that whatever spiritual sickness we're carrying around, whatever, you know, spiritual infection we're carrying around in our lives that we're allowing to be there, it's not only going to negatively affect us, it's going to affect our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's why he says we've got to be careful of, of what we allow into our lives and what we allow to take root into our lives and all of that because it's not just going to affect us negatively. It's going to affect our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. He says in verse 10, be devoted to one another. This word means to cherish one another. How often do we as Christians really cherish each other in our relationships with each other? And then he says, be devoted to one another with mutual love. This word for love is a little bit different than agape. It's the word phileo. And it's talking about a deep affection for one another. A tenderness, if you will, for one another. And God says that's the kind of love that we need to have reciprocally, mutually for each other. Again, never one-sided, but going back and forth. He says, showing eagerness in honoring one another. Instead of fighting with each other, he says Christians should be fighting over who honors who the most. All I could think about was around Christmas time when they open up the doors of these sales and all these people rush in to grab something material and they run over each other and trample each other. Well, think about that in a good way. Paul is saying, wouldn't it be great if in our churches... Christians were so anxious to honor others rather than seeking to honor themselves that they literally were sort of tripping over each other and, and trampling over each other to honor one another. And by the way, this word honor speaks about a value and worth that is fixed. In other words, Paul's saying if we truly saw each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, the way God views us, we would continually and constantly have an attitude towards each other that you are of value to me as a brother or sister. You are of worth to me. That I will be a better follower of Jesus Christ because God has brought you into my life. Wow. Just opens up all kinds of stuff, doesn't it? And can I say, I want to commend you all here at the Oasis because you are a loving, caring group of people. In fact, one of the things that I hear most often from people who visit our church, who's not part of, in a sense, our church family, is when they walk in and they begin to see how you interact with each other, they're like, man, they, they really like each other and care about each other and go out of their way to, 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 you know, minister to one another. That's important. That's what Paul's saying the body of Christ should be. Notice he also says, do not lag in zeal. Be diligent. Be wholehearted about what we do as believers around each other. Be enthusiastic in spirit. The word means to be passionate, to be on fire. We're going to 
talk about why this is important in just a few minutes. And then, of course, he says, serving the Lord, you see. And then he says, rejoice in hope. He says, let that confidence about what you know your future is based upon the word and promises of God. Let that continually fill your life with an inner sense of well-being. Always being able, not necessarily about our own circumstances on earth, but about the promises of, of God for our future, that we can always rejoice in that hope, Paul says. And then he says, endure in suffering. It means to hold one's ground. You and I, God doesn't expect us necessarily to, to take a lot of ground spiritually when we're going through pain and suffering and pressure and trials. But God does say to stand. Take a stand. Hold your ground during those seasons of suffering. Don't let the enemy push you back into retreat. Persist in prayer. It means to strain in order to maintain our prayer life. I mean, we all, in a sense, struggle sometimes with praying as we should and praying as we ought and, and just, just keeping the lines of communication open to God and, and, and Paul recognizing this is a struggle for us. And he's saying there's especially times in our life where we've got to strain to maintain our connection and our communication with God. Then he says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Share our resources. Share our possessions, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pursue hospitality. Run after entertaining one another and hosting one another and having each other in our homes. Paul says this is important. This has always been a trait of followers of Christ. And it should always be a trait of followers of Christ. Just being friends with each other. And then beginning in verse 14, I think he's saying a lot in these last verses here about rising above the behavior of others. See, what Paul's going to talk about a lot in these last couple of verses of this chapter is sometimes we are going to be treated Unfairly, we're going to be hurt. All those things. But Paul says, if we end up lowering ourselves to the standard of others of how they treat us, then we end up being no better than them. We end up allowing their behavior and attitude and all of that and actions towards us to sort of sink us spiritually. And Paul is saying, look, when God gave us the indwelling Holy Spirit and God gave us all these spiritual resources, he gave them to us so that we could live supernaturally beyond our own ability to do so. And so he's saying that God expects us not to treat others as we always get treated but to learn to rise above it and be better and not allow the way we are treated to bring us down to other people's level. That's why he says, beginning in verse 14, bless those who persecute you or mistreat you. Bless and do not curse. Don't ask God for some misfortune to come into another person's life just because of what they've done to us. 
He says then in verse 15, rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. Be empathetic. Be sympathetic. Allow what others are going through to affect and enter into you. And if it's something great, then instead of being envious or jealous about the good things that's happening to them, be willing to rejoice and celebrate with them. And when someone's going through pain and grief and mourning, come alongside. And what this is really saying too, obviously, it works both ways. We as brothers and sisters in Christ have to be willing to enter into the joys and pain of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the other side of that coin is when we're going through good times or bad times, we've got to be willing to open ourselves up to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't be over here on the side saying, well, something wonderful's happened to me, but I don't have anybody to share it with. Well, maybe part of the reason why we don't have anybody to share it with is because we haven't been taking time every day to develop our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So when something good does happen, I have a circle of people that I can share it with. Or when something unexpected, painful happens in my life. Do I have those around me, my brothers and sisters, that I know will weep with me and truly enter into what I'm going through and empathize? Paul says, you can't wait for those times in your life to come and then all of a sudden expect Christians to just flock to you. That you and I have to be building and developing those relationships all along. Then when those times come, those relationships will already be established. Then he says, do not or live in harmony, verse 16, with one another. Be agreeable. Don't be argumentative. Be of the same mind towards one another. Don't be haughty. It means just high-minded, lofty, you know. But he goes on to say, associate with those who are lowly. I think the greatest example of this was Jesus. Jesus associated with tax collectors and sinners. People that the religious, spiritual people of his day would never associate with. In fact, that's one of the big criticisms of Jesus was he associates with certain kinds of people. And by the way, the word lowly here doesn't mean someone of humble station. It literally means someone who's been flattened. In other words, sometimes life just runs us over as brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, we need people in our life that's going to be willing to come alongside of us when we've gotten flattened. Whether it's something we did or something someone else did, but we've been laid low. We need sometimes... When we're really struggling, sometimes that encouragement is greater than we could ever imagine it when we're really struggling than obviously when everything's going well. We need that kind word. And then he goes on to say, do not be conceited, the end of verse 16. This word means self-sufficient, which is really what... Everything that Paul's been talking about from verse 3 of Romans 12 all the way through the rest of the chapter. 
We cannot be self-sufficient because God never created or designed us to be that way. We are members. We are part of the body. And he told us last week, each of us has a measure of the faith, but not all of it. The only way we can experience the fullness of God with one another is when we're willing to, again, acknowledge our responsibility and obligation to each other and come together and use the gifts and abilities and talents and our time and energy and all of that to strengthen and serve each other. Because God wants to work through his people. And so we've got to stop being out there on our own, trying to do life on our own. We've got to recognize the wealth, the wealth that we have with one another. And we've got to tap into that, not in a negative way, but open ourselves up to what others can do to help, encourage, strengthen, refresh us throughout our Christian life. And hopefully we'll be willing to do that Towards them. Doesn't this passage just smack in the face of the attitude of many Christians today who say things like, you know, I don't need to go to church because I can worship God on my own. And, and, and that when they do go to church, what's it always about? They're choosing a local church only based on everything about them. It's what's good for me. It's what I like. It's what fits me. It's never being open to maybe God wants me to be a part of this body and he's going to stretch me through being a part of them and maybe I'm going to stretch them being a part of that as well. If we're only around the people that all the time or allow ourselves to be around the people that just always make us comfortable and never stretch us, then we're never going to fully experience or express the will of God for our lives. You know, one of the greatest non-spiritual examples of this principle, and you guys know I love history, was our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. When he chose a lot of the men around him to be part of his cabinet, especially Stanton, the Secretary of War, that guy hated Lincoln. He called Lincoln. He told people, you don't have to go to Africa to see a gorilla. There's a gorilla living in Washington, Abraham Lincoln. That's what he, that's, or Springfield, Illinois at the time. That's what he thought of Lincoln. And yet when Lincoln needed a secretary of war, he chose Stanton, not because Stanton was his biggest fan, but because in his mind, Stanton was the best person for the job. That's leadership. That's leadership. That we sometimes allow ourselves to have people around us that are good for us and good for the whole but not necessarily someone that always makes me comfortable. Self-sufficient. Do not repay anyone evil for evil or injury for injury. Again, rise above it. Consider what is good before all people. Again, what benefits or profits the greater whole? Not How does it affect me? Not coming into a church or anywhere else pushing my own selfish agenda, but what's good for the whole? 
That's the way we need to approach our relationships with each other. And then he says, if possible, as far as it is within our power, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Cultivate peace and harmony in our relationships. Do not avenge yourselves. Don't retaliate, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. In other words, leave room for God's justice to come in his perfect timing. If we truly believe that God is sovereign, that he rules, that he's in control, and that he is a God of justice, then when wrongs are done to me, if I let God take care of it, that's the way I need to handle it. Now, folks, again, this is an all We're not talking about crimes committed against us. That's what the law is for. And we'll talk about that next week in chapter 13. But he's just talking about sort of personal injury and personal hurts that people do to us. He says, don't lower yourself to their level and start retaliating and seeking to injure them if they injure you. Rise above it in the power of God. And let God take care of it in His perfect timing. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God will give justice to those who truly deserve His justice. And He will do it exactly the way it should be done, exactly at the right time. So if we just have faith to release it, to let God have His way then we can release it and move on with our lives instead of allowing this thing to just continually grind at us as many times we do as Christians. And then he says, rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. This was a way of saying, look, If our enemy treats us badly and we just treat them badly, then we're just going to escalate the situation and there's never going to be any chance at all of probably their heart turning towards us or our heart now turning towards them. But if through the power of God we rise above it and when God gives us opportunity, we do something nice or good or profitable or beneficial for them, God says, here's what will happen. They really don't like you or me. Or we really don't like them. But the moment they do something nice or kind for us, boy, then it gets harder. And it's almost like the picture he's using is that when he's talking about placing coals of fire, it means we're heating the person up by our kindness. And the heating of their head was a way in this language to talk about sort of stopping them in their tracks and and seizing them and causing them to pause. That instead of just them reacting in hate and, and anger and all of that towards us, that maybe, just maybe, if we would be kind to them and show them love and things like this and do something profitable and beneficial for them, that God may be able to use then that little crack that might now start to exist in their life to come in and change their heart. And the possibility is that through God, obviously, and His work in their life, God may end up turning an enemy into a friend. Which, can I say, that's exactly what happened with Stanton, the Secretary of War, who when Abraham Lincoln 
had passed away. And even when he was lying there on the bed, dying from the assassin's bullet, Stanton says, that's the greatest leader our country has ever known. Stanton changed in the way he looked at Lincoln. It took some time, but it happened. And sometimes if we're willing to rise above the way others are treating us, sometimes God can use that to change their hearts towards us or our hearts towards them. Because God doesn't want us to be a victim, even though being a victim is one of the most popular things in our country and culture today around the world. God wants us to be victorious. God wants us to overcome. God wants us to learn to conquer. And so notice he ends this chapter with this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't let what others do to us define us. Don't let what others do bring us down to that level. Through Christ, let us rise above that. And live on a higher level. And learn to conquer and be victorious and overcome and rise above it all. This is God's advice about relationships. Now, as I read and studied this passage, there were five things that stuck out to me that I want to share with you as I wrap this up today. And, you know, sometimes I'm big on alliteration because it helps me to remember. So that's where we're going today. So there are going to be five C words. And the first word is capacity. And the reason I use that word is because everything in this passage of Scripture is a reminder to me as a Christian that God doesn't want me to live my relationships at just my level, at my capacity, at what I'm capable of. No. He wants me to learn to do relationships beyond my capacity. He wants me to do relationships with other people supernaturally as I allow the Holy Spirit to fill me and take over my life. God wants me to learn to do relationships beyond my capability because God is saying, if my people would just learn to do relationships with each other at that level, They would be such a testimony and witness to the reality of who I am and what I can do in people's lives. Which is why Jesus said to his followers, by this kind of love, the kind of love that I'm calling my followers, my disciples to, by this kind of love, all men will know that you are whose disciples? My disciples. Because you're not living these relationships at the capability or at the level that you can do as just a mere human being. You're learning to go beyond what you can do. And you're learning to allow God to, in a sense, do relationships through you. Capacity. Secondly, costly. You can't study or read this passage of Scripture and not go, you know what? Being in relationships the way God wants me to is going to cost me something. Absolutely. You know, we're going to celebrate and and commemorate the Lord's table. And as Christians, we so quickly forget the cost 
that God went through to have a relationship with us. And yet, relating to us and having a relationship with us was so important that he was willing to go through whatever it cost him. Humbling himself and taking on a human body. Obviously being betrayed and and scourged and made fun of and slandered and blasphemed. Oh, and then all the physical suffering of the cross and all of that and, and much more. And then having the separation between Him, the Father, and the Spirit. He was willing to go through all of that. And let's remember something based on a couple weeks ago too. Jesus Christ, unlike us, knew exactly what He was getting into in this relationship. He knew before He even got into a relationship with us the pain that we would cause Him. And yet He said, I love you so much that I'm willing to absorb all the pain. Jesus didn't stay out there on the fringe and go, I really don't want to be hurt or experience pain from people, so I'm just going to sort of love them from a distance. No, He got right in here with us. And not only that, as God, He was willing to stand right in the front and absorb everything any human being could ever do to Him. Because relationships meant that much to God. And God is saying that yes, there will be human relationships that bring us pain. But you'll never have relationships that have any real meaning in your life unless you're willing to have it cost you something. Unless you and I are willing to get in there with relationships and put out our time and energy and effort and our blood and our sweat and our tears and all of it. Because it's in those kind of relationships that sometimes even causes pain that also the greatest joys and meaning of life can happen too. And we're going to talk about that. So, capacity, costly. Third, camaraderie. Camaraderie. You'll notice in this passage of Scripture when he talks about you know rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, weeping with those who are weeping, mutual love, cherishing one another, valuing each other and all that. He's obviously implying too that there has to be a closeness there. We can't, we can't fulfill this passage of Scripture as Christians again on the fringe with each other. You can't do it. I can't do it. We have to be willing to have God build that closeness with one another, that connection and that camaraderie with each other so that we are willing and able to share in the joys and pains and all of that of life together instead of just coming in, as many people do in churches today, sitting there on a Sunday and leaving and never getting connected with anybody and feeling all alone and isolated and then wondering why when they look up, they have no one to share their joys with. They have no one to share their sorrows with. It takes that kind of camaraderie and closeness or else we can't fulfill this. As I've shared with you before, We can impress people from a distance, but we can only impact them up close. That's why even Jesus didn't stay up there in heaven and go, Hey guys down there on earth, I really love you. And I I really do care about you. I just want you to know that. But I'm going to stay up here above it all. I'm not going to get down in there and get involved with all that because I'm God. No, he humbled himself. 
and came right down into the midst of all this mess. Because he knew that's really the only way you can really do relationships. You can't do relationships from a distance. You can only do them up close. Fourth, consequential. Consequential. Relationships are consequential. They're important. They're weighty. I mean, when you read and study this passage, one of the reasons why Paul's saying, hey, be passionate, be on fire, be enthusiastic, do all these things, is because when we are in relationship with each other like we should be, we can be such a positive influence on one another. Our relationships with each other have consequence. They're to be important and weighty for us. That's why the Bible says, if you want to be wise, walk with who? The wise. If you want to be a fool, then hang around fools. In other words, God is saying, you, you and I need to be careful about who is around us because relationships are important. They're weighty. They're influential. They're of consequence. Good or bad. And then finally, celebration. Why does God spend all this time in the Bible talking about how to relate with each other? Because at the end of the day, relationships really matter to God. And He wants them to matter to us. Again, I've shared this with you before, but it's a truth worth repeating. There's only two things that we come in contact with here on this side of heaven that are eternal. The Word of God and people. All these material things and all these things that we spend so much time accumulating and all of that, naked we came into this world, naked we go out. And all those things, 10,000 years from now, a million years from now, 10 million years from now aren't going to matter. But you know what is going to matter 10 million years from now, 20 million years from now, on into eternity? Relationships. That's what really matters. And as evangelical Christians... We pride ourselves on getting out there and letting people know it's not religion. It's about a relationship with God. And it's not about rules and rituals and all that. It's about relationship. And we're so quick to, to jump on people about, you know, making sure it's about relationships. And yet many times, those of us who are out there telling others it's about relationships have no relationships in our own life. And it's got to be more than just our relationship with God. Because God designed it that way. God designed our life to be like the hub and spokes of a wheel. The closer we get to God, the closer we're, we're supposed to be getting to each other. That's the way God designed it. Because God understands as He created us. I created you for relationships. Not just with me, but with one another. And the thing we're going to celebrate millions of years from now is going to be our relationship with God, obviously, and our relationship with each other. Paul modeled that. 
Three times in the New Testament, the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonians, and I can't remember the other one. He said, obviously, when I get to heaven, the main thing is I get to see Jesus like the rest of you. And seeing Jesus and being with Jesus, obviously, that's, that's the top. But Paul, many times in the New Testament, said, but you know what else is going to be my glory and my joy throughout eternity? You know what I'm going to celebrate in the presence of the angels and the presence of God? You, Paul said, you. Paul said, you're my glory and my joy. You're what I'm going to be celebrating throughout eternity. How God used your life in mine and how God used my life in yours. Paul said, that's what I'm going to be celebrating. So here today, the question we should ask ourselves is, am I doing relationships my way or God's way? And am I willing to open myself up to begin to do relationships God's way and see if that's not better in my way. In just a moment, we're going to partake of communion. In fact, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and the gals to get in place for communion. But as people are moving, please stay focused for just a moment. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss everybody during this song and we're going to let you go up and get a piece of bread and a cup. As we approach this table today, let's not just remember as Christians, obviously, what Christ did for us. That's obviously why we do it in remembrance of Him. But let's also remember something else about this. And that is that Christ died on the cross and went through all of that and rose from the dead, not so we could just have a relationship with Him, but so we could have meaningful relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, did not Christ even model that for us? Because when He instituted the Lord's table, He didn't do it by Himself and say, Hey, church, here's what I want you to do in remembrance of Me. No, He gathered around His 12 disciples and did this with this group of men that He had done life with for three years. And He did it with a group of men that included a betrayer, that included someone who would deny Him. And yet He says, you all are important to Me. I want to do this with you. Which is why here at the Oasis, we want to wait till everybody is served and you come back to your seat and we're finished singing this song and then we partake together. Because part of communion, part of the Lord's table is not just remembering what Christ did for us so that we could have a personal relationship with Him. It's also to remember the relationships He wants us to have with each other. I invite you today that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior to go up to that table when your row is dismissed and get those elements and come back. And whether you want to sit there, whether you want to stand, whether you want to sing, whether you just want to listen to them sing, whatever you want to do as the Spirit leads you, you do. And then we'll partake together. And then we're going to sing another song, sort of a song of, of celebration of 
what I think God wants our lives to be like in relationship to each other. Let's pray. God, as we get ready to take a hold of these elements that symbolize Your broken body and Your blood, God, may we remind ourselves that You so wanted to have a relationship with us. Not because You needed us, but simply because it was a choice. You wanted to have a relationship with us so much that You were willing to go through what You went through to have that relationship. And God, so often, what we really want in our lives is meaningful relationships, but we have no clue how to have them. And yet Your Word has given us great wisdom and great truth on how to really have a dynamic relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's got to be beyond our capacity. It's going to cost us something. We've got to be willing to be close. They're absolutely consequential in our lives, but they will be something that we celebrate for all of eternity. God, give us that perspective today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.